Alright everyone, welcome to the Unification Project Podcast. Before we get started on today's topic, I just want to let you know it may be impactful, emotional, and candid. Some of the dialogue may not be suited for younger audiences, but the goal is to paint the most accurate pictures of the struggle men face with mental health. This is a huge issue society has ignored and not taken seriously. Your friend, family, co-worker could be facing this topic silently, or maybe even you and you're not aware of it. You are not alone. Trust us. Reach out to who you can, find those who understand, and help us make those unaffected understand. If you are suffering from a mental health crisis, know that there are many choices available. The National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. And if you're a former or current military member, please press 1 after connecting. Another number you could use is one 866 488 7386, and that connects you to the service specializing in the LGBTQ community. And with that out the way, an official welcome to the Unification Project podcast, a social experiment where we take the average person and get their thoughts on various topics, remove the shackles of social and mass media influence, and learn how people really think. Today, the four of us will be diving into the rabbit hole and ask ourselves Does society take men's mental health seriously? And how can we do better to heal and educate? My name is Dustin Thomas, and I just want to now introduce the rest of the hosts of the show and a very special guest. Sean? Everybody should remember me for the first episode. My name's Sean. Uh, I go by almost Apple. Um, I've struggled with mental health, uh, well, since birth. So I feel very qualified personally to talk about my experiences on the topic. I've also went through a pretty broad experience of psychiatrists, therapy, different antidepressant medications, coping mechanisms, etc. Um, so I'm interested to share my experiences and hear how I might relate to some of my co-hosts here and their personal experiences with their mental health. Uh, with that, Anthony? What's going on, Anthony? You know, uh, I struggled with mental health for a while, you know, since before I really knew what mental health was. You know, grew up in a black household where mental health wasn't really a thing. You know, nobody really understood it unless you had ADHD. That was the only thing that, you know, for the most part, black people understood in the 90s and early 2000s. So, you know, I'm willing to share my journey with mental health, learning about it, figuring out what was wrong with me, helping other people figure out what was wrong with them. You know, just ready to talk about it. All right, looking yeah. forward to hear more. Um, all right, well, uh, we have just... a special guest. We all, all three of us, we've mentioned the last time we all went to high school together. Mm-hmm. We're bringing in another one of our high school friends who uh, I'm incredibly close with since probably one of the first people I met when I moved down south from where I'm originally from, Ben. And I know he has a lot to talk about. Ben, why don't you say a few words? How's it going, everybody? Uh, my name is Ben. Um, I go by Tay Ronan um, on my TikTok and my Instagram and everything. And being a um, retired veteran for um, eight years, combat deployment, things of that stuff, stage two bipolar. I suffer from um, chronic depression and manic depression. That's what they just um, diagnosed with me last month. So um, I feel like my journey is just reaching out to a lot of veterans and reaching out to a lot of people to basically give them the basis of where mental health comes from and what can we do to prevent that because the signs do show every day through um, all different types of people. So, so definitely on um, this podcast and 
we'll definitely hopefully reach out to a lot of people. And um, I'm just glad I'm here. I'm glad you guys will invite me. No, we're glad to have you, Ben. Thank you for coming. Absolutely. Um, really, the way that I feel like this would best break down for us is there is an ungodly, like, world to dive into with men's mental health. I feel like probably there's five major points that a lot of people deal with, and some of those would be ADHD, uh, depression, whether it be chronic, manic, or one of the other like subclasses of depression. You have anxiety, uh, bipolar disorder, um, BPD, which is borderline personality disorder, is something that used to be classified as bipolar. Now it's being studied independently. Um, PTSD affects many people in the military community, law enforcement or other, anything that might have a traumatic experience on your job. But also PTSD could really affect just about anyone. The mind is uh, pretty fragile when you really think about it. And something small or minor or even major could trigger just a change in how your brain processes everything that you experience every day. And I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure Ben has some experiences with PTSD. I'm not sure about you, Anthony. No, absolutely, um, absolutely. I don't know if personally I could say that I experienced PTSD. I mean, I know there are things from my very young childhood that I don't speak about, but to know, to dis discern whether or not that is a PTSD relation for me, I didn't get to that point with my therapist to dive down that rabbit hole. But I feel like those five, ignoring BPD, because that's kind of a newer known uh, mental ailment, I think those five are probably the generic starting point for what's going to afflict the majority of people that will listen to this. So, Sean, how um, uh, my at least recommendation, uh, do you want to go around the room and all of us just kind of talk about maybe moments in which we started to really acknowledge um, that maybe we needed outside help or maybe we just uh, we were going through things to kind of help our, ourselves yeah, with some of the a, issues. That was going to be my starting point is really I want to know when did you guys either self-identify what 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 led you to the point where you were like, all right, I need help because personally I had a psychiatrist when I was really young. I stopped taking my mental health medication around the time I was halfway through middle school. I wasn't doing psychiatrists anymore. Uh, I had stopped that uh, when I was getting out of elementary school. And I didn't revisit my mental health until well after we had graduated high school. Uh, and we can get into when I re-dove back into but I, I'll also go over my experiences that I had while I had taken my break from getting treatment for my mental health. But I want to know, I know my story, and I'll share it, but I want to know your stories and then how we all relate. Because when I talk about my mental health a lot of times, I find that other people are like, oh my God, yeah, I, I know how that feels. I've been there. I've felt that. That sounds so familiar. And I just want to see on a level of relation how the four of us relate and maybe our experiences and us sharing can help other people that hear this relate and educate them. 
So really, whoever wants to take the the reins on that, any of the three of you guys go right ahead because I could literally talk about my personal experiences for hours. I recommend we let our guests go first. I feel like that'd be the you know the appropriate thing to do. Ben, absolutely. You, you feel up for that? Ben. Hey Ben. Yes, yes. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Do you feel yeah, up yeah, for uh, yeah. talking about your uh, your experiences and kind of when you um, when you noticed um, that you either needed outside help or or just whenever you were really I was, aware? I would say I first became aware in 2014 because my sergeant actually sent me to um, behavioral health for my drinking problem um, that I used to have because I was a heavy drinker since the age of 19 and stuff like that, and I've also been in a a couple of shootouts even before the army Mm. just in Orlando, just being like at a party or something like that, or just walking down the street. But I really didn't, um, really didn't get an emphasis on like what it was, but all I know is, um, Mr. Mr. Brian Williams was my um, first counselor in 2014 in the U S army. And I used to tell him all the time, like, I don't like being around people when like I go to a bar or something like that. I'm always looking around like, either got my fist balled up or I got my drink in the opposite hand that I don't um, punch with and stuff like that. And like, and he really just, he really sat there and told me like, you've had PTSD ever since you were younger. You just never knew this. Like basically you're, you're you were more always aware of it. You were always in a fight or flight stance basically. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It's like, he was, he was always aware of your situation or what was going on, but you just didn't um, understand it. And it gotten worse when I got back from Afghanistan in 2016. Like goodness, like the um the combat and like what I've seen and like what I had to do to get back here. Like it really, it it really fucked with me like very hard. And I've honestly called the suicide hotline a few times, um dealing with it when I was uh at the time, divorcing my wife and I um, didn't just didn't know what to do. Just um just falling back on my life and um but I've stayed. I've stayed with my mental health counseling and um, I still I still do it um, every month now. But now but that's when I really um, caught it was in um, 2014 was when I really started to figure out what it was. But now, like to this day, like I feel like I'm in full control of like all my decisions and my destiny. And it's like I know I have it, but it's like I'm more in control of myself now. Hell yeah. Feel that. That's that. That's good. Um It'll be interesting when we start diving into what you know now related to your earlier life, because knowing what I know now, I can sit back and I can look at things that I did or decisions I made uh, in our high school time and post um, how our mental health might have affected that. And so that'll be kind of an interesting dive we'll we'll tackle in a little bit. Well, if you guys are good with that, I'd like to go, go ahead and go next. I think Anthony said he wanted to. Go oh, Anthony, it. I'm sorry, but you want to go ahead? Oh no, 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 you good? Because I know when I get on, when I get to talking about stuff like this, I kind of get on a tangent, and it's hard to, you know, try to control my direction. Amen. So I want to I want to let you know some other people talk first, and then I'm gonna try to, you know, what I'm saying figure out how I'm gonna limit myself. <laughs> well, hey man, if there's ever a topic that we need to speak as much on, I mean, this is definitely it. Um, but yeah, hey, I was like, you go ahead though. I appreciate it. Thanks, bud. Um, for me. Uh, so definitely started a home life and young, I wasn't really that aware of it until a lot later in life, uh, probably mid twenties, um, two critical moments, at least in far of age and why I see it as such an important issue now would be when I was 26 and then 28. 
Um, so relatively recent. I'm I'm 30 for those who are curious. Uh, but I didn't realize how long the trauma had had stayed, and I didn't, it didn't really fully reveal itself till much later. And uh, so growing up, and I won't go into uh, incredible detail on some of the stuff that happened, but uh, I didn't have the most um, uh, pleasant home life. And it's it's strange, actually, to even say this, because a lot of my really close friends, uh, and that being uh, especially who I saw on a regular basis. I mean, Ben, I saw you plenty of times as well, but as far as like Sean and Dylan in particular, uh, y'all saw like my home situation. But before I really got to spend time with you guys, uh, there's a reason why I was away from home so much. And I developed a coping mechanism, which was actually in writing, which I thought was a good thing at first. I found out a lot later after seeking counseling that it was something that ended up hurting me in the long run. But for those who know, and I think, I think I've talked about it in, for everyone in this room a little bit, but I've been writing semi-professionally for a little over 10 years. I started when I was 13, I want to say it was 13 or 14. Um, it was in response to something traumatic that happened at home, uh, something, not something I realized till later. Uh, and I thought it was a really good thing. Uh, I really stayed with it. It made me kind of happy to be able to express like that. Um, and then I wrote less the more I was away from home. I didn't, uh, I always enjoyed writing, but I didn't have a, let's say a need for it, um, uh, because I wasn't having to cope as much when I was, I had distance away from certain family members, <clears throat> but I returned to it in my mid twenties because of, uh, another event in life and still didn't recognize it as an unhealthy thing. But when I was 28, uh, that's when it was revealed to me that what I was doing and how I was coping was actually making the problems a lot worse. Because instead of being creative or trying to just create a story for the sake of trying to do something fun, I really wallowed in the extreme negative parts of either my life or certain characteristics or certain events that I had phrased in a story. Um, and I sat with those in private a lot, which made any issues I had, um, it amplified them. As far as extreme events that made me see those things, uh, I had two suicide attempts, one at 26 and one at 28. Um, the revolver, and Sean, you know the, the little small handgun that I had, uh, I got rid of it shortly after 26 for an attempt, uh, and I had found a way to sell it because I didn't want it in my possession anymore. Um, and then in when I was 28, it was just how low I felt that I got and what I didn't have or, or how, how I just viewed my life. I actually had quite a bit that I didn't realize until seeking out some help, which helped, helped me. Um, but I'm happy Not to, to say, you, yes. I want to expand on that. Do you mean that where you personally saw your life as to where you felt like you should be or just the circumstances surrounding your life at that time what i was in the process of losing at the time mainly mm -hmm. so then leading to where my life was um just a lot of uh efforts on my part to try to keep things that were no longer there uh, i really um just wallowed in uh and i'm not afraid to say it like self-pity or uh just uh, just negative state. I found just any negative state I could, and I just stayed there as much as possible. And again, my form of self-expression or coping uh, was in writing, which just 
stayed with those themes, even though they were in a creative space and in a world that didn't technically exist. It did exist because it was based off very real things. And I just didn't realize how much harm. You know, I feel like I remember because I was, you know, we've always been close friends. You and me go way back, like me and Ben go way back, not quite as far back as me and Ben go. Um, cause I didn't meet you until we got to high school. Um, but I do remember that your creative writing and your fantasy writing that you were trying to make your career out of, as far as that book went, I do remember that a lot of the characters in that book were very closely personified with people you actually knew. Um, yes, uh, no, it absolutely did. And I'm, uh, sorry to have to meet myself right quick, but something just appeared uh, outside my, my office. I'll be right back. Okay, that's fine. Well, Anthony, oh, I think it's going to be a good way to segue you in since uh, Dustin has gone AWOL temporarily. Yeah. All right. So uh, I think the way he explained it, you know, like how he said, sometimes he kind of wallowed himself pity. I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about that aspect of it because, I mean, it's, as much as like as much as it is a you know a mental health issue it's almost like sometimes that makes it addicting to you know what i'm saying to kind of sit in that negative space you know what i mean like it's, it's you, you know there might be ways you know to get out of it but you just it's yeah. like you don't really want to you know what i mean it, and it it's feels it's hard comfortable. Mm-hmm. it feels yeah. comfortable to be there and you don't you don't feel comfortable not being there exactly so you know like i i definitely understand that cuz it's you know, that was one of the things I had to teach myself was, you know, uh, with my anger, I get angry and I would, you know, kind of just I push that rage, that anger, that frustration and everything I felt. And I would just drag it along because it made me feel like it, it gave me a reason to be kind of where I was. You know what I mean? It, it's, it sounds like it was somewhat ju- justifying the things that I was going through. So, you know, that was one of the first things I had to learn. But, uh, you know, growing up, uh, my brother had ADHD. And like I said, you know, in a lot of households, especially, in, you know, in black households, we talked about how, you know, uh, health in black households isn't necessarily like, you know, it's not one of the highest things on the priority list. Yeah, I so, know that Ben has Ben has said that same thing, mm-hmm. and I wanted your, I wanted both of your opinions about that, because me and Ben, when he was living with me, we had a long talk about how his mental health was perceived growing up because it candidly you and Ben are both black and me and Dustin Mm -hmm. are both white. We're all Mm -hmm. males obviously, but I know that the social interpretation of mental health is different based on race, which is kind of a trivial aspect to personify it to, but it's, I don't know if it's a culture thing or a social engineering thing, but there's just a vastly different level of acceptance between right. our two racial communities and right. mental health. If, if, I, if I had to make a theory about it, I would say that also because of the fact that in a lot of environments where, you know, black people are being brought up, you know, it's like it wasn't too long ago that, you know, like the grandparents, you know what I'm saying, were uh, in situations where they didn't have the time or the luxury to think about their mental health because, you know, they were still kind of digging from a hole that their family was in, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, I think, you know, like to to them, it was almost like we don't have time to deal with that because we're trying to, you know, put y'all in a better position or we're trying to, you know, even even if it wasn't put in a better position, I'm trying to keep us in this position and not fall backwards. 
So, you know, when it got to a point where it was a little bit easier for us in society to, you know, blend in and normal, you know, economical situations like, you know, getting jobs, not being denied certain jobs for our, you know, for our appearances, or our names, as that got more, as we were easily ex- more accepted into society, we just didn't drop that aspect of our life, you know what I mean? Or our, you know, our mindset. So a lot of people... As they were coming up, their parents, you know, if you were depressed, that was it. That's just why you're acting so depressed. It wasn't like, okay, there's something wrong with you. It's you're choosing to be depressed. Stop it, you know. And as we know in here, it's not that it's not that simple. No. So uh, my brother, like I said, he had ADHD, and I believe at that point he had some form of depression too. But uh, you know, the only thing he was being treated treated for was ADHD, and for me, because I was doing good in school there was never really a look into my mental. So, you know, when I was feeling bad, when I was feeling depressed about things going on, it was just, you know, stop being so fucking sad. You know what I'm saying? Things could be way worse. I don't see what you're so, you know, mad about. So that, you know, and there was, there was a lot of things that traumatized me when I was young. I think for the, to keep from bringing other people into it, I'm going to kind of try to keep a lot of my childhood trauma out of it. But I did have a lot of, you know, like childhood trauma from elementary school on. But where it kind of switched to me was in middle school. So in middle school, we had, you know, I was living in Augusta. We moved to the west side. I was going to Tet. And that was like the first, when I got to school, the first week I was there, I saw somebody get stomped into the pavement. I mean, and this is, you know, seventh, eighth grade. This guy got up. He was bloody. There was, it was like 20 guys who just, you know, literally stomped him into the ground over you know a joke they were playing around and somebody that knew one of the guys was playing around didn't know it was a joke so when he hit the guy everybody that knew him basically joined in so from there that traumatized me because i'm thinking i'm in a new environment i don't know how to deal with it and you know i told you before you know when i was younger i kind of you know i was you know involved with a gang and i was you know involved with gang activity so from there, you know, I was really quiet, but that's kind of where I hit the fight or flight. And I thought in my head, if I don't show them that I can hold my own, they're going to eat me alive. So then I went into, you know, I went in survival mode and, you know, that kind of followed me through middle school, high school. And, you know, that kind of got me into situations where, you know, I didn't like to say no. You know, somebody suggests something like, a, you know, maybe a simple robbery and it's like, Fuck it, let's do it. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to let you see that I'm scared. And it got to the point where I was able to tuck that fear into the back of my head. And I kind of made, I put this shell around myself mentally, you know, to where, or not mentally, but uh, I put the shell around myself to where I didn't want people to see me as weak. As as much as, you know, I'm a very emotional person. I, I have very high highs, very low lows. And, you know, I, I love, I love hard. I, I hate hard, you know. I have a vast emotional, a vast emotional uh, bandwidth. I was, I'm gonna say, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, what I'm saying, when it came down to it, I, you know, what I'm saying, I kind of just put that on the burner and I put on this, you know, this stone cold face to get through what I had to get through. So like, you know, I feel like that kind of impacted my mental health because you know as i'm going through this i'm not knowing who to talk to the only people that i know to talk to are people that are beside me doing the same things mm-hmm. so you know and like i love them like family if i needed food they helped me get food if i needed money that you know like there was always a way that they would try to help me 
Uh, but you, you know, some of the things we the, did. The people you mm-hmm. rolled with were like your family, like your support right. group at that point. Because mm-hmm. my family was, you know, very spread out. My my mom's side of family was in New York. You know, my dad's side was in Statesboro, but they kind of was split up. They weren't really associating with each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like to me, you know, what I'm saying gang was family. You know, like I said, I would go to school and, you know, I was supposed to pay for lunch. I didn't have money for lunch. They would give me money for lunch or they give me their lunch. You know, so like I created this bond with these people and there was a select few that knew the real me. But for the most part, when I was around that group of people, I wasn't, you know, the the me that loves to smile and, you know, reads and watches anime and, you know, makes jokes. I was, oh, I still made jokes, but, you know, I was more of a... You know, I, I had less emotion, so I had to, like, box myself in. And it, going into the military was the same thing. So I think a, a really big part of my thing was as I was going through these things, you know what I'm saying, getting, you know, getting jumped, jumping people, you know, going through robberies and feeling like I might, you know, get, you know, get some years in prison because I just didn't say no. Now I'm rolling into the military and, you know, there's a lot of, I know Ben definitely understood that, you know, in the military, as much as you like think it's brotherhood, there's races in the military. There's people who were bullied that are in mm-hmm. leadership positions. And those are some of the worst people you could be around. Like, I, there was a guy from Alabama who, in a big group, you know, he, he was cool with me. He had talked to me about everything. And then, you know, we got alone. And he made some very racist remarks. I mean, he told me, you know, where he was from. You know, people like me got hung. And. He called me a monkey, and it's like it was just me and him. And for one of the first times in my life, I had to suppress my anger because if I'd have fought him, there's no telling who would have believed me. It was gonna be my word versus his, and I just punched him. So it was like, you know, I had to control myself, and I didn't even want to tell anybody because, you know, at that time, Black Lives Matter was kicking off real big, and to them, everything was race baiting. Everything was not as bad as it seemed. It wasn't never, you know, it was never because of race. So I had to suppress myself from some more, you know, got married and, you know, love my wife, been married for 10 years. But, you know, in the beginning, we were both young. We were arguing, you know, we got to where we argue a lot and I would try to suppress my anger and communicate. And, you know, she she does that a lot better now. But in the beginning, she didn't really have that skill. So I felt like I had domesticated myself. You know what I'm saying? I went from somebody who was willing to, you know, jump in and get my ass whooped by 10 people because of what I believed to somebody who now I'm having to suppress myself because of my leadership. You know what I'm saying? I'm not wanting to mess up my relationship, you know, just a, a bunch of factors came in and I think, you know, me, me suppressing myself from a kid to put on that thick skin and then that becoming part of my personality and having to put that on the back burner again and then create another personality. I feel like that, really messed my mind up and you know there wasn't a lot of ways for me to express that besides writing you know i remember in you know high school ben used to write i remember reading some of the things that ben used to write you know and i i believe he you know read some of the stuff i used to write and you know put on facebook and myspace at the time so it's like a lot of that stuff that we had going on we were able to put it down on paper but then you know there was a point in time where the paper and the pen disappeared and it just, it turned into other things and it was very unhealthy for us, you know? And I can, I can, I can speak for, you know, me and Ben, cause like, you know, even though, you know, we don't talk much now, back then we were, you know, we were tight. We were around each other a lot. So, uh, yeah, like it's, 
it was just, you know, I, I said a lot. I felt like I kind of went on a tangent, but, you know, I said all that to say, like, you know, when you have to adapt yourself to other environments, you know, the strongest people can be susceptible to, you know, mental health. That, P you know, PTSD, a shocking event happens to the strongest person when they have their little weak point and that could, ruin, you know, that can mess up their mind for a long time. So it's like there's multiple events I felt like along that journey that happened that kind of, you know, tore a chunk out of me and I tried to heal it by, you know, putting something else there that wouldn't be as sensitive or as easy to tear. But in reality, it just ended up putting, uh, you know, a side of me, it, it ended up just blocking off a side of me that was still there. And it took for me to become, you know, it took for me now I'm at 30 and I'm still looking back and realizing, you know, where things were wrong with me that I didn't think were wrong with me. No, I mean, and don't don't feel bad for going off and speaking for long periods of time. I mean, it's that's one of the important things about this topic is that uh, especially if you feel like how the four of us feel a lot of times we're like, we'll start talking about it and then we'll feel bad about it we will feel guilty or like like you know we're not we're, we're not valid for expressing ourselves and you got to remember that talking about it and feeling your feelings on these matters are it, it's important it's, it keeps you grounded it keeps you from going to really dark places and finding a relatable middle ground with people that understand you is is important and you can't do that without the communication aspect so like i don't feel like any of us are going to fault anybody here for talking too much or you know what I'm saying. Um, I do. Uh, I agree with some of uh, what you said. I, I have a different like life experience than than some of you guys. But uh, in the vein of growing up in the black community, dealing with mental health, I know that you kept bringing uh, Ben up on it. And I know me and Ben have talked about it a lot. And so before I start talking about my initial experiences with how I discovered and what led me to seek help uh ben why don't you uh dive into some of your perceptions of basically how young black men or black women are raised in the community and how well, particularly we're dealing with men's mental health so focus more on male mental health but you know what it, what what was your feelings like growing up dealing with you know things that since you know you didn't realize you had problems until like the mid 20 teens but, you know, obviously I feel like all of us could like relate back to our childhoods and see the signs and how we uh, we interacted with our parents in the community. So if you could just uh, shed some light on your experience, I think that would be helpful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I could definitely say one of the biggest issues within our black community right now is religion. Like, you know, my whole family's religion. Grandma's a pastor. Mom's a pastor. Aunt's a pastor. All of them were all pastors, and we all just had this one rule that we just lived under the Bible like we were supposed to be perfect. But it actually caused the entire family to become even more delusional and more unrealistic. And now, like just like I explained to my mom, it's like when, every time I told you I was feeling depressed, as I can uh, relate back to what Anthony was saying, my mom would be like, oh, go depress them dishes. Go depress that room. You said go depress outside, like that right. shit was depress funny. something that yeah, depress something you know productive. <laughs> it's, exactly, and it's just like I really didn't understand it. So 
I've always saw myself as the black sheep, especially with me having a different father. Like, you know, my brother and my sister, they, they light skin. You know what I'm saying? They got white people on the side of their family. So, like, really growing up, I really didn't even see the barrier of that because me and my brother Anthony fought a lot. Like, definitely. And with my, my self-esteem being shot down by black women, because, you know, I love black women. And um, I started dating, when, remember I started dating Rachel? Um, in 11th grade, when I first started dating a white girl, this is how mm-hmm. I knew this. This is how I knew something was wrong with my mom too, because the first time when she found out I was dating her, she took my cell phone. She didn't ask me. She didn't come speak to me like, "Son, you know, I'm, we in a different time and stuff now, but I'm not comfortable with this or whatnot." She could have asked me what's going on, what made me like this girl and want to date her. I would have told her, well, maybe it's the dark-skinned girls at the school that look like you that's calling me a damn African booty scratcher and saying I'm blacker than an ace of spade, calling me an oil spill, calling me all kind of names. And then now when you look at it today, oh, it's love and cherished black men only because we're getting killed by police now. I don't want to hear it. You see what I'm saying? It should have. We should have stopped that a long time ago. And it's just now I... I grew up and I look at Charles so differently because I pulled myself back from what you tried to shelter me under. Like I told my mom, I really saw the world when I left your house and went to the army. You you see what I'm saying? Especially when I had gotten into my first fight of combat and I had to like really pray about it. Like when I first got into my real combat fight, I had to talk to the chaplain for three days because I I really didn't understand like what I did or what happened or whatnot like that. I ain't even tell my mom until I got back. You see what I'm saying? And so it then like it then like going back to the um religion part, like I also told mom, why do you think Jesus had 12 therapists, but they called them disciples? It's because he still had to talk to people. He had feelings too. He felt sad. He goddamn wept when Lazarus died. Jesus cried. It says that right there. That's the shortest verse. Jesus wept. And he still had to go talk to somebody. And now I, t- I t- explained to my mom, our family has been delusional and it has been biased because all we knew was we re- grew up was under religion. You see what I'm saying? Under, oh, no, you do this. You're not supposed to do that. You see what I'm saying? Feel, or don't ask no questions. I feel like I know what you're talking about, not in the direct aspect of you, but I know a lot of times um, I've expressed my emotional state occasionally and uh it's not unknown to people that i'm atheist but a lot of times people always try to guide me back to some form of religion as a way to cope and i mean you, you see it a lot in the um the addiction community which is a different form of mental health which i didn't want to cover today because that's its own that's its own vein entirely. Touch, yeah. Absolutely. I was touching that just a little bit. But yeah, my bad. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, you could bring it in, but I, I feel like addiction to substances is a whole separate yeah. line of talking points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't personally experience addiction, so I don't I don't want to talk about it on my end. So I want to find a bunch of people that want to talk. But um, it is obviously a contributing factor and a symptom of some mental health is you're more prevalent to addictions. But I just know that in Ben's vein, I remember um, me and him having the conversation about how when it was personified that he was not feeling good, that he would have to go and seek the church's help rather than personally. Yeah, absolutely. And that was, and I've, 
been doing that whole thing wrong this entire time and I really see it now. And I fell into addiction because of that. Like both my like addiction really is a disease. Like both my parents were um addictive, crackheads and coke heads and stuff like that. I've done coke a, for a long time under the radar. I've done coke with my father. I've drank with my father all kind of all kind of crazy shit. You see what I'm saying? And so and then when I really started to see like, wow, I'm starting to become who he is. You, you see what I'm saying? And that's when I had to let it really let it go. Because I didn't and I really didn't understand myself because he was in my life, but he wasn't in my life like he should have been. You see what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And um, like I explained to my therapist, like, oh, why do I sleep with a lot of women? Or why did I cheat on my wife? I had to really go back and explain to him, like, look, every time I went on my dad over summer or a birthday or some shit like that, I'd be at multiple women house with him. I've there are there are women that he slept with that got baby pictures of me that my mom hasn't even seen yet. It's just it's just crazy. And that's where that's where I got my um my sleeping around with a lot of women and being like kind of a playboy mentality like it's because of him. He didn't never taught me how to respect women. You see what I'm saying? He never taught me to say, hey, listen, when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. You see what I'm saying? So it's yeah, a, like the um, fundamental, the foundation of like proper relationships or monogamy was never really. Yes, yes abso- absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And like and when it came to like like drug addiction, that's a whole different um thing, because I really I really um the first drug I really ever tried was Percocet. I was in the army, um, but that's when I got my wisdom teeth removed. But it just kept every like party and like foreign country shit I went to. I just tried things just with my battle buddies because I thought it was fun. But I never knew that I was really doing this shit because I was upset and I didn't know how to talk about it. You know what I'm saying? So I just like, fuck it. I forget about it. I would say, well, addiction seems to tie into mental health because uh, typically the things that people find themselves becoming addicted to are used as coping mechanisms. And coping mechanisms and substances are a substitute for the chemical imbalances that are in your brain that cause the mental health which is why, like I said earlier, that I'm a huge advocate for, I think, I'm, I think well, let me rephrase that. I think we might have been talking about that before we started the podcast. We did, yeah, we did. Yes, okay. sir. Hey, um, hey, guys, give me a couple minutes. I got to do some reports really quick at our office, but I'm going to still be on. You're straight. Hey, go ahead. Um, we're all busy people. We don't, we don't even get free time to do this. I, I'm even at work. Um, I, for the longest time, I didn't embrace medication uh, to talk about that tangent before I get on to my life sob story. Um, For the longest time, I didn't want to take medication. That's why I stopped when I was going into middle school. I felt like uh, it, it didn't feel normal. Like, you know, the, the mentality of it was, you know, other people go and they live their life, they're normal, they're happy, they don't have to take a handful of pills every morning to be normal, and I don't, I, I want to feel normal naturally is what I always felt, but you have to understand that your mental health is, is really more than just, you don't feel right, it's, mm-hmm. it's an illness that it, your body does not produce chemicals appropriately or things that have happened to you have changed the chemical balance of your brain whatever the cause is is that your body is just not doing 
a neurotypical thing. It's not producing dopamine. It's not producing serotonin. It's not doing what it should be. And medication is one of the few ways that you can do that properly. And yeah. yes, not everybody responds well to an antidepressant. I personally cycled through, I think, eight different medications over the course mm -hmm. of my whole life. And I'm currently on two different antidepressants and an ADHD medicine. And I think another perception about medication is, is that the minute you start taking medicine, that your life is just going to suddenly feel amazing. And I want to sit there and I want to tell people that that's not really what happens. When you, when you take a medic medicine regimen, uh, yes, you can. You can also just interrupt me at any time. Um, yeah, sorry, I, when, I didn't want to interrupt. Uh, right. I just wanted to just talk to you th uh, that way. Um, just on about medication right quick. Uh, just to, uh, something just to tell anyone who's listening who may be concerned or, or like you were saying that you wanted to find like natural solutions or natural ways to help deal with what you were going through. And I just wanted to step in and say this is one of my brothers, my oldest brother, uh, who's only just recently found himself in the right headspace and he went a very long time not in that headspace he was also concerned about this he felt a certain amount of shame when seeking out medication and i just want to tell anyone who's listening that yes you do need to be careful and knowledgeable about what you do take but please don't feel shame over going to your doctor or seeing a professional that does recommend medication there's a lot of different types of medication especially antidepressants and i don't want you to think that it's not that you're abnormal or that you're different as a result. A lot of people are on it. I feel hundreds, if not thousands, of common antidepressants every single day. Uh, and I had to reassure my older brother because he had those same concerns. He felt a large amount of shame. Please don't, but like Sean said, it might take some time when you take one or two different types. There are dozens. There's a lot out there. Because yeah. so much doesn't work for a lot of people, but you can find something that can help you manage, and it's definitely well, a step. The thing to about take. it is, is that each medicine provides a different level of chemical balance, yes. and it's determining what your imbalance is. And so, mm -hmm. each medication treats a different, like, lack of level. So you're going to cycle through before you find what works for you. And I mean, for the longest time, I mean, I know that I've told you, Dustin, I'm sure Ben heard me say it before, um, that I just didn't want to have to take medicine to feel normal. But me putting that off for so long was so detrimental to my life, uh, friend relationships, um, romantic relationships, probably, you know, the, the ways in which that affected me throughout the years until I started taking medication again, like I, I couldn't even begin to imagine the butterfly effect that I would have seen had I been taking medication this whole time. Um, in a different vein from you guys, um, I actually started, uh, not necessarily therapy, but when I was younger, um, I had a lot of behavioral issues at home. Not really that, you know, I don't hate my mom. I love my mom to death. I grew up not knowing my biological father, but I had a stepdad for the longest majority of my, like, young uh, adolescence. Uh, there was a situation that happened to me when I was really young 
that I assume probably has unforetold or un... I don't understand the ramifications of what occurred to me, even to this day, as much as I try to learn about my mental health and try to understand how my mind works and try to help other people. Um, I feel like without that professional knowledge, like I, I, it's throwing darts at a dartboard in a pitch black room. Like you're, you're, it's hard to hit that target without someone who knows. So I don't really want to dive into what occurred to me just because that's a incredibly closely guarded. I've only told like two people in my entire life, uh, story about me. It has nothing to do with my family. It was somebody that I was friends with when I was younger. Um, so like, you know, if anybody's listening, it's like your mom would know it, it wasn't my mom. My mom's always been very loving and caring. She's always done everything she could for me. And I appreciate that, you know, like the support was there. Um, you also got to realize though, when you think about things like this is that I try, and for the longest time I was mad at my mom and my stepdad or other people in my life for not necessarily doing what I felt they should be doing to support me or help me feel better. But a lot of times you have to understand that our parents were learning too while they were raising us. You know, right. there's there's not mm -hmm. a book, there's not a manual, there's no right or wrong way to raise a child. And a lot of times our parents do the best they can if they're good people, which I consider my mom a good person. Sometimes she's misguided, she's emotional, and she struggles with mental health herself, mm -hmm. which she has been dealing with and treating around about the same time I started treating too. So you have someone who is dealing with mental health issues while raising a child with mental health issues in a time frame when mental health especially wasn't understood. I mean, it's still not understood very well today, but in the early 90s and early 2000s, we're like leaps and bounds from where we were medically then. Absolutely. So in my older time, I have pushed myself to not be upset with situations that happened as I was being raised as much. Because I, I don't blame my mother. It's not her fault. She was doing everything she could. She ran a business. She worked a lot. She did everything she could to give me like the best opportunities and things that she may not have had when she was younger. Like she tried. And I appreciate that. And I'm pretty sure my mom is listening. Love you, mom. You know, I'm not mad, you know, sometimes I know we fight still to this day. We're still not very like fleshed out, you know, like we get shouting matches all the time, but you know, I know you try. Um, so because I was behaving so badly as a child, um, and like reflecting, like I see like that I was a little shit. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know how much of that was me acting out because of how I was feeling. I was diagnosed ADHD at a really young age, um, and I know a lot of people get diagnosed ADHD. It's a very broad spectrum mental illness. Um, it's hard to personify directly. ADHD shares a lot of symptoms. That's, that's the other tricky thing about mental health, which is why it needs a heavier evaluation and study. 
a lot of mental health ailments overlap with their symptoms and it can be very difficult to narrow down specifically what is wrong with you. Anxiety shares symptoms of depression. Mm -hmm. Everything shares PTSD symptoms. Bipolar symptoms are shared with depression symptoms. ADHD symptoms are shared with depression and anxiety. They think ADHD can cause directly a depression and anxiety. Um, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I just live my life day to day and experience a lot of these things. And so I try to piece my puzzle together the best I can. I was diagnosed ADHD as a child. A few years after that diagnosis, I was diagnosed depressed. Um, moving into my adulthood, whenever I had dropped all of my medications and I didn't do anything to treat my mental health uh, through the entirety of my high school life and the adult working life post high school, um, I experienced a great deal of just emotional stress. I've always tried to be a helpful person. Um, you know, I've always tried to be what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, empathetic and things like that. I've tried to help people, tried to be a good person. My actions have definitely not always reflected my intentions. Um, you're very impulsive with ADHD. Um, you know better sometimes than to do what you're doing, but in that moment you hyperfixate on something that you want or something that is like a goal at that time and it becomes like consuming to you and it's like until i get to that point it's all i can think about um you're pushing more by your instinct than you are by your actual thought process yeah, basically um, right uh, yeah basically uh, i will say that i wasn't always great in some of my earlier relationships or even some of my later relationships honestly until i started treating my adhd and depression and things like that again and really trying to understand my mental health um i dealt with a lot of uh infidelity issues uh i still have a hard time processing the idea of commitment um that had went away but there was a situation with a recent ex that pretty much destroyed any progress i made in that department so now i suffer from a I don't, I don't have a problem committing to things. It's that I have a hard time, uh, trusting those commitments might I have, last. I have a hard time. Yes, 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 yes. That's, that's what I, I, I have a hard time believing, like I can commit to something. I right. have a hard time trusting that the other person is committing in the same level that I am or right. that I have a hard time believing that the way I feel now is how I'm going to feel later, and then I'm going to regret the level of commitment that I'm trying to get into now, if, right. that, if that makes sense. Um, no, I'm still... It sense. I definitely understand. Yeah. Like, you know, that, that manifests mainly in relationships, you know, like people like, oh, man, I want to have a kid, I want to get married, and I'm like, you know, I do too, but I know how I am, I know how I feel, I know my emotions, like... I, I, I have feelings now. I love the relationship now, but in two years, am I going to love this relationship? Am I going right. to be happy with who you are? Am I going to be happy with who I am in two years? And that is like the struggle that yeah. plagues my mind there. 
Well, Sean, real quick, I just want to jump in, and I want to say to anyone who's listening um, who may have actually benefited from all the help you gave, because you sell yourself short, uh, and I really do think you do this. I know me and Ben can speak on this, but you've helped a lot of people. You've gone out your way plenty of times, and, and obviously, like you said, I mean, it's maybe not everything goes down the way it's intended, but you've taken plenty of people in. You've taken me in. I know you've taken Ben in. You've helped plenty of your co-workers, you've gone really out of your way to help some of your co-workers. Um, so, I mean, I want you to say that I just wanted to, to highlight that because you sell yourself short for how much you do, you try to do. Um, well, I, I know. And that, that, that's, that's another thing I was going to touch on. A lot of times, like how I feel day to day, which isn't really what got me back into my mental health treatment, but I've understood how I felt my whole life. See, my whole life, like Normally, when you guys do something and you have an accomplishment, you should be proud of it. Like, it makes you happy. Like, you feel excited about it, right? Like, you do something big and other people are like, oh, man, that's so awesome. Congratulations. It makes you feel good, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And it doesn't for me. It doesn't make me feel good. I bought my restaurant. Something was a huge goal for me. I... I have worked my ass off trying to learn everything I can learn about restaurant management, running a kitchen, running a server floor. I've, I've spent, I don't know, I couldn't even count the hours I worked in my previous careers and, and like work, work sides to get the level of knowledge and experience that I have that has led me to completing my goal of owning my own restaurant. And I have it now. And you would think that that would give me a feeling of gratification. It would make me proud, but it doesn't. Other I people are more that. excited. Yeah. Other people are prouder of me and more mm -hmm. excited and happier for me than I am for myself. Can I? I was the same. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to interject about what. So something I learned very recently, which has put me, which has put me in the mindset to put a much higher priority on personal happiness, was. So I'm up for a year in a review for for running my my small business, and there are a lot of things on paper that I should feel proud or very yeah. happy about. Um, and my sister, I went to her because my my sister, my brother in law, helped me a great deal with anything that I have that comes up that I don't know how to tackle, um, especially when it like comes to uh, numbers or certain like my brother in law is wonderful with that kind of stuff, so he'll help navigate me through things that I'm just not seeing things clearly because I don't really understand exactly what I just printed out or what I'm looking at. Uh, and, but my sister was trying to comfort me and, and say, hey, you should feel Because she could tell I wasn't feeling necessarily proud of the first year in review. So she went out of her way to make me feel a lot happier. And what I figured out was what I do for a, a living, it does give me purpose to, well, continue to do mm -hmm. what I do. It does not provide me happiness. I feel this like this is where I belong, but this is not what makes me happy. Hey, hey guys, I don't mean to interrupt. I'm probably going to have to cut this short. The truck is um, arriving. But um, I just want to put some final thoughts, if y'all don't mind. Absolutely. That's fine. Yeah, we, we yeah. were expecting drop and drop out for any guests anyway. So go ahead. Oh, not a problem. Um, I will say my final thoughts um, to everybody listening is it's okay to feel how you feel. You see what I'm saying? It's... um. Oh, I'm glad I'm talking about this because actually yesterday, my nephew admitted to my sister that he was depressed. And, you know, um, nephew, he's a new parent, just had a baby and everything like that. He's um in college. He just turned 19. So he feels himself under a lot of pressure. 
But um, it's great that he talked to he um talked to my sister about it. My sister talked to me about it, and um, I would definitely talk to him. But um, what I would say is, please say like say something. You see what I'm saying? I know, just like um, Sean said earlier, the mind is is a very fragile thing if you're not careful. You see what I'm saying? And um, that's why like r- lately on my Facebook, all y'all been seeing is me like speaking motivation and speaking love because that's what all it takes. All it takes is to um, show somebody that, hey, I'm sitting here listening and no matter what you're going through or no matter who you are, I care about you. You see what I'm saying? Whether you you family member or you just a stranger or something like that. Just um, the most effective form of medicine is laughter. That's what I've really figured out. Just just making people laugh, giving people a, a good moment, even if you'll never see them again. You see, so so definitely. um. And um, utilize the hotline for the um the veterans. Please utilize that hotline because I've I've utilized it three times, and yeah, they really they really helped me out a lot. Um, and so yeah, definitely um I appreciate you guys. And um, if we're doing anything this afternoon, I'll definitely um be a part of it too. Yeah, don't worry. Like we've got we've got so many topics lined up, and I'm sure this isn't going to be the only time we sit down and talk about mental health because it's That's a right. it's a huge problem. And I mean, I know it affects women too, but you know, the society perception is that women are allowed to feel feelings and men are not. That's a very toxic, that's a very toxic toxic perception. (laughs) But Ben, man, thank you so much for giving us your time though, man. We know you got, you know, you're busy. Um, but thank you so much, man, for, for just sitting with us. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And definitely, um, I definitely get on with y'all next time. Love you guys. Sounds good. Much love, man. But yeah, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead. I, I was gonna say uh, to go along with that too. You know, uh, I do. I, I feel the same way sometimes. Where you know, people will see some of the uh, you know accomplishments that I have, or you know that I might be achieving, and you know they feel as though you know, like it feels like they're more happy than I am. Like you know, for instance, you know, buying a house is a big thing on everybody's list. Like when I bought this, it's like I felt as though it was just a check in the box at the end of the day. It's like there was nothing bigger. Like it was just, it was almost mundane, right? Like it yeah, was like anybody, you felt like anybody could do this. Why should I be happy about it? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, it, yes. the sad reality is that not a lot, not everyone does. And it is a huge thing, but I don't know. I don't know what, if it's just our brains that tell us that, Hey, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be happy about things that other people do. I, I don't know. Like, it's it's very far and few between that I can recall anything that I've done personally. Like, at the age of 21, I was a restaurant general manager. Like, that should be, like, incredible to me. But it's like, oh, whatever, in my mind. Like, it's yeah. not important. Well, in the same... Yeah, definitely. Hmm? Oh, no, I was just going to say, one well, the sad thing is, like, obviously a mountain of effort goes into getting to those end goals like purchasing a home uh getting a a car especially you know if you just didn't have one for a very long time but somehow you worked your way up to the means and there is probably that small little bit of gratification you may feel something in the initial moment but it fleet it's so it's such a fleeting moment and it happens so quickly oh anthony you're good bud but it's just it's crazy how quick those moments just kind of dissipate when we should feel a lot happier because they are big accomplishments. And uh, and I know what you mean, Sean, as far as you being general manager, because like from a personal experience, I held you in, in such high regard, still do to this day, especially even more so now because you've helped me 
uh, as a business owner, understand a lot of things uh, that I would have learned a lot harder ways. Uh, so I've, I've always held you in high regard because you, you had a mission, you had a goal, and you worked to achieve those things. And I always respected that because uh, you were definitely a more action person, less words, more action. And I always respected that approach that you took with your life. Um, but no, I, I think we all three definitely understand the maybe we should feel a little bit happier. Other people around us seem to be a lot happier about it. Um, so we definitely can all relate there. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest things right now is a lot of people, and I mean, I find it cool too. Don't get me wrong. Like I find the level of excitement in it is fluctuating, which is a different experience for me, but seeing the people like seeing the restaurant in the major movie, that it's in the Halloween ends film. And I like, I get this, the restaurant has like 10, 15 minutes of screen time. Like a lot of this movie took place in this restaurant. And, you know, I was happy that they came in and filmed. I met a lot of really cool people um, from the industry. I didn't meet any like major names or anything or whatever, but my mom was so excited to meet some of the stars and things. And I could not have really not to disrespect them for what they do, but like, it just, didn't matter to me like meeting famous people has never registered to me as something important it's not something interesting even seeing like the restaurant on screen is like oh that's cool and mom is like hyper excited about it mm-hmm. but i just don't feel anything emotional about it and i feel like i should you know i've worked really hard to uh make this restaurant what it's becoming again it wasn't in a great place when i started working here it went downhill with the previous owner because of other various things he had a lot of other restaurants he was handling this one was far away so it was kind of like a redheaded stepchild it was it was really hard to manage there was no staff there were there was a bunch of hurdles i had to solve and i knew i could do it and i did it and you know now we're acing health inspections we have like a 4.3 star um you know approval rating through like google reviews and shit like that as opposed to like the 2.8 when i started working here they all of these things are achievements on paper they're checks in the box and people see them and like oh my god congratulations you're you're good at this you you know you deserve this and i just don't i don't feel how other people feel for me and that's such a weird thing when i go to sleep at night to tell myself, like, hey, I know it's stressful, I know everything is hard, and you don't know if everything's going to work out, but look at what you've done, and I have a hard time focusing on the hurdles that I've already come over to realize what I have done, and all I really seem to focus on is the, well, here's what I still have to, have do. to do, so there's yeah. no rest, almost. <laughs> Yeah. So it's almost like I don't know if there will come a day when I feel like all the hurdles are done. And is it going to be that day that I feel happy? Do I feel accomplished? Is it going to mean something to me? Or is it just going to be more of this? But literally all the time I'll talk to people and they'll say things like, you know, you should be proud. You have your shit together. You know, it's, you know, you do things that other people aren't. And just doesn't feel like I'm special. I don't feel accomplished. I don't feel that 
any of this necessarily matters. I know that I go out of my way to help people, and I do, and I feel good when I help people, um, because not everybody has the ability to do things themselves. Not everybody mm -hmm. has a support group, yep. and you know, I have always enjoyed either because of my hard work or my lack of give a shit about my personal well-being. I've always had extra that I can give to other people or like a room that I can rent to somebody for cheap or, you know, I can help somebody move and, you know, things that mm -hmm. people would do. But it just all of the things that I do to try to help others don't make me feel good either. You know, like some people get like a really huge, I guess, gratification from assisting people. Yeah. It, it feels somewhat like, not like an Sometimes obligation. Sometimes I feel as long as if I can't. Like if I don't, it's just like I feel bad. And if I do, I it's like say, I'm yeah. supposed to. I, I feel mm -hmm. like it's just like I'm supposed to. And then when there's times when somebody needs help and I can't, I feel guilty. And I really dwell on that. And it like eats me. Whether mm -hmm. or not it was, it, it might not have even been important. Like it might not have been like critical. Something right. small that I couldn't help that person or do what I needed to do. And that is a symptom of mental health. Um, actually, it is a symptom of, uh, I feel like people-pleasing is anxiety. It might it's... also be depression, but I know people-pleasing is a symptom of one of the five initial points that I had brought up as like what I think are the major health topics. Mm-hmm. And like the whole, I know earlier you said like you don't like to say no. That is a symptom of mental health as well. Um, I don't remember the direct, like what they call it, but it's basically where even if something doesn't benefit you, isn't good for you, or is incredibly inconvenient for you and you don't want to do it, you still won't tell that person no. Yeah, and, that, uh, I definitely understand. I was trying to yeah. deal with that. that. Oh, go ahead. What you saying about that? No, no, go ahead, bud. I was gonna say I had to deal with that not too long ago. You remember uh, Candace from high school? Candace Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yep. So uh, she lives not too far from me, and you know we were really cool in high school. And uh, when I moved out, basically uh, I was working nights, and this is not last week, but the week before. I was remember I was dog tired. You know I was mm -hmm. telling you guys like how much how little sleep I was getting, mm -hmm. and you know I had. Uh, I had to take my kids to school in the morning because, you know, my wife had work and I tried to get some sleep, woke up, you know, I think I had an hour or two of sleep, woke up and I saw a message from her asking if I was busy and I just knew, I just knew I was going to end up having to do something that, you know, was going to kind of take me away from being able to sleep. But I could, you know, it in my head, I was like, you know, and I was up and she said that her car had, you know, her car broke down. So, you know, she asked me if I could meet with her, you know, her boyfriend to try to give him a jump and help him get the car back. And so I'm already regret, you know, oh, I'm not regretting it. You know, I'm glad I could help because I know they really needed that. But I, I went with them to, uh, or I went, picked him up, took him to the car, and the battery was completely shot. So, you know, even after I would charge it for a little bit, mm -hmm. the car would turn on. And if he wasn't applying gas to the car, it would die. So yeah. I had to jump him like four or five times. So, you know, the process of getting him from where he was at to their house took, you know, a lot longer than I would like. By the time I got home, you know, I, if I were trying to lay down, I would have just maybe been laying down for an hour before I had to get right back up again. And as much as that sucked, 
Yeah, as much as that sucked, it's like I just, you know, I, I was like, you know what? I feel like I would appreciate if somebody helped me. But at the same time, I know if I was in the other situation, like, you know, like I probably would have been like, you know, I wouldn't, I would have felt like an inconvenience trying to ask somebody to do that too. Yeah. Like, so it was I like, I would do things for people that for I wouldn't expect them to do for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, that, that shit, it, it kills me, you know, because I, I completely understand that. Or like, you know, feeling as though, you know, like sometimes it's like, I feel like if, if I don't do for some people, they might, you know, they might look at me a, a different way, you know, like that, that makes me anxious. That's part of my anxiety is like, you know, you know, I also have a friend of mine that, you know, we talk like every day and sometimes I feel as though, you know, I message, you know, we message too much and I'm like, if I'm blowing your phone up, let me know. And they just are, you know, just don't worry about that. Like, you know, if it was too much, I would let you know. Yeah. But it's, it gets, it gets like that, you know, you, you kind of worry about, you know, it, sometimes you don't necessarily worry about what other people think. For me, though, like sometimes I, it, even though when I'm feeling normal, I don't really mind what other people think about me because I know I do the best I can for people when I when I can. But sometimes I just feel that overwhelming feeling of you know, you know, am I like one? Am I being used too? If I'm not feeling like I'm being used, like is that you know, does if I don't do for this person, are they going to still be my friend or are they still gonna like me? You know, and it it kind of tears me up. No, I think I, it really gets the best of me. I know that ex I know exactly what you're saying. I, I've I've dealt with that like pre previously. I've felt like that plenty of times. Um, it's it, it's basically yeah, just people pleasing. Like if I don't help you, if I don't accommodate you, like is that gonna affect the level of friendship we have or like whatever level of interaction we have? And I mean, some people are like that. Some people will be like, well, you know. You, you find that when you have bad mental health, you said, are people using me? And I relate to that really hardcore because I have a very heavy paranoia about people who associate with me. And I, I'm aware of my accomplishments and my abilities and what I'm capable of doing. And I know that I don't make it a secret that I help people. <clears throat> and so... Sometimes I always look at people as like, well, is this genuine? Do you need my help? Or are you just asking for my help because you'll get it and it'll make mm -hmm. things easier for you? Is it essential that I help you? You know what I mean? I, I feel I feel like that a lot. I uh, I, ha I struggle with a lot of what you just said there, Sean, because of uh, a mutual close friend of ours who we both have gone out of our way a lot of times. And I feel like if I say no, uh, I, I go back and forth, and I really struggle with this particular relationship, Sean. You, you know about the, like, mm -hmm. the deeper I know. workings of it, but I feel like if I turn, if I don't help this one time, even though I've helped the other ninety-eight occasions that he was asked, that he asked, or someone else asked, that my my view, my the perception they have of me will immediately change, and then I'll be thought of as just this horrible friend who couldn't help this one time um, mm -hmm. and I, I i get super anxious about that type of stuff i actually went through something recently this summer to where i felt a certain amount of guilt and i was reassured by the person i had uh donated a little bit of money to that hey you know you did everything you could it's fine um but i couldn't i still felt horrible about it so i think we talked a little bit this uh just before this uh this podcast but being so early into the company and how 
much financially it's cost me to keep it going or, or just having to buy new things. I don't have a, a lot of free money. And obviously for a lot of help, whether that's to, to get something that's have, that's really needed um, or to just get to where you need to get money is often one of the first things, if not the first thing that a person might need. So I was working with this. I've been working with this charity throughout the whole year and they help single parent families, uh, something that's very personal to me through personal experience. And I imagine. Can I can I interrupt yes. you for one second? Because I mm-hmm. want to tell you something about that that I don't think you might be aware of. Okay. So we um, were not aware. Um, a long time ago, I had uh, a bunch of things that someone did not come pick up because they lived with me and they had been moved out for a while and they just didn't come get their stuff after a while mm-hmm. and I couldn't get in touch with them for a really long period of time. So I was just like, all right, well, I don't know what happened, but the stuff has been in my house for a year now and they haven't came and got it. They haven't picked up any of it. I have had no communication or effort on the part. And I mean, it still made me feel bad, but like after that amount of time, I was like, all right, the stuff has to go somewhere. So we actually wound up donating everything um to a charity and unbeknownst to us the person that you work with is actually the people that we wound up reaching out to that came and picked everything up from us oh Uh, um yeah working for a purpose that was the charity yes yes um lovely charity i i mean i can't shout their praises enough but in the in the summer we ran a special and it took me a, like I don't know why this this aided me the way that it did, and it really took her trying to comfort me the whole time. But we developed a new product that was for the summers uh, summer, and due to production cost and kind of the ingredients, it was a little more expensive than I I cared for, and I had to sell it for. So I tried to I tried to put a little uh, twist on that. I said, well, how about this? Because it has to be this expensive, and I'm already wanting to help this charity. We're going to donate a certain amount of the proceeds at the end of the summer season, and this this percentage of proceeds is going to go to the charity. And it didn't really do that well uh, or sell a lot. And it probably was because it was more expensive, or at least I'm assuming, especially with everything, the prices increasing this year, we all can definitely, we've all definitely felt that. Um, I imagine just people not being able to purchase those things. But I went to the organizer and it was just a little over a hundred bucks. And I felt, I felt bad, uh, like really bad because uh, I had talked it up and I was wanting to do more with it and promote it more, sell more. And she knew about the proceeds going to her charity, and she was excited. So when I ended up giving the amount that was what I had from it, uh, I apologized. I was like, "I'm I'm so sorry. I tried to do more, just uh, but this is all I was able to do." Uh, uh, but but she was uh, unbelievable, you know, very grateful. Um, and she she for for me at least for me because I found out a way I can help people, which does provide some satisfaction and helps me with my mental state. Um, is I just try to volunteer and just be physically there. For stuff, because I know I can I can help in, in those ways. I mean, I maybe can't help financially uh, when people need it, but I find my satisfaction, which helps me mentally and helps other people, is I can physically be there uh, to help with organizations, events, and things like that. Which is why I'm so close with that charity now, and I help with various events because um, that helped me. But as far as like the guilt over giving something like that, I just it took me a little bit to understand why I felt so horrible that I just felt like I didn't do enough. Um, and that was affecting me in more ways than I, I thought it was going to because, you know, it was a good thing. It was it was something which they really appreciated. But I know we all relate to uh, just either feeling like we don't give enough um, or just inadequate for, for what we do. I think give. the other thing about it is, is that, you know, you realize you see a lot of times that 
and it's not always the uh, the receiving party, but especially with charitable donations, you always see like it's almost like um, it's almost like it's a show, if that makes any sense. Like so somebody will make this huge post or this big gala or event out of raising money for a charity and it's like well you feel almost like well what i did was insignificant or or maybe if you don't feel like that it's like well you don't feel that same level of pride because you didn't accomplish the same thing that was accomplished or it's almost like people other people get that satisfaction that you don't get or it could just be like for personal benefit some people out there only do good things just for their other people. yeah yeah for like their own gain like it's like oh hey look at what a good of a person i am but it's like not authentic where as opposed to you know when we do things for people it's typically very authentic but we don't feel a sense of pride in it. You talk about it. Like, a lot of times we don't even tell people. Well, you know, like, even when people bring it up, it's like, no, nah, I don't, you know, it wasn't anything really. Even yeah. if it costs us a lot of energy, time, effort, you know, money, whatever it, you know, costs to us. In the grand scheme of things, we know it's not a lot. Yeah, but, you so, know, like, the people who really, like, people who will genuinely appreciate it, but it's hard for us to appreciate it like they appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. In, in like a weird thing that sometimes when I go to sleep at night, this uh, this memory comes back to me. And it was something that happened, I don't even know how many years ago now at this point, and it was a big deal for other people. But it didn't really feel like anything to me. Um, so me and some friends had went to the river, a river landing out here, and we were just having like a day where we were all hanging out and doing shit. You know, we brought some alcohol, we were just chilling. Um and the 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 landing was really populated um for people that live in other parts of the country that might be hearing this we're down south um swimming pools are not like the only place to go swimming you just go swim in lakes and rivers and stuff i mean i know that's a common thing a lot of places but i know there's a lot of like urban areas that would be like you went to just go swim in a river yeah mm -hmm. we did yep um, <laughs> Entirely fly up in there from a tree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we were out there. There was like two or three other really big groups out there, and then some smaller scattered families or groups of friends. And we were all just pretty much just chilling in the water. Uh, I was like in moderately deep water. Like I was like about to tread water. I was on the verge of where it drops off and you no longer have anything to stand on. And there were these two kids they were a lot younger than us and they were swimming down at the other end of the river in the deep end like you couldn't stand over there well and for context i it may or may not matter but just for full story plot um it was a young black kid a group of his his friends they were all black uh his girlfriend who was white and they were down in the deeper end and he realized that he was getting tired and couldn't swim. So his girlfriend and him decided to try to swim in. He made it 
almost all the way to the footing point where where me and some of his friends were standing and some of my friends were standing. Uh, she didn't try to swim away from the bank. She was just holding on to the bank because she just she didn't think she was going to make it. So the dude gets like like literally like 10 feet away from us. I'll preface this with saying I also can't swim. Fun fact about me. I know, like... <laughs> I can't swim, so... I'm just good enough to save my life. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just good enough to not die myself yet. Mm -hmm. um, so, this kid comes over, and he dips under the water. And then he comes up, and he's kind of splashing around, and he looks frantic, but he's not talking. His friends are all laughing and joking around with him. And I was looking at him for a few seconds and I was like, this don't feel right. And he came up and he like looked at his friends and like the look of panic and terror this kid had on his face, like was real. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he was, he was, he was drowning and his mm -hmm. friends were just standing there joking at him and mm -hmm. I can't swim. But without even thinking about it, I jumped over and I was like, he's close. You know, he's not far the fuck out. I can't swim, but I can probably drag him to safety. So what happened was is I tried to pull him with me by like grabbing his arm and like backstroking. But he was freaking out so much that he put his hand on my head and mm -hmm. shoved my head underwater trying to keep himself up so he could breathe. Mm -hmm. So he threw me under the water. And I inhaled like a mouthful of water. When I came back up, I pretty much just grabbed him and pushed myself behind him and put my feet on him and shoved him. Like, you know, like when you'd push yourself off the side of a pool. I shoved him towards the landing with his friends. And I like pushed myself really deep into the river. And his friends were able to grab him and drag him out. And uh, I had to swim all the way to the other end of the bank, which was probably like somewhere around a football field. So I was just kind of like floating there and uh, got out safely. Uh, somebody had went around and got his girlfriend out with a rope and they pulled her out to shore. But to cut the story shorter, um, by the time I got back to shore where everybody was, one of our friends was a nurse. Uh, is a nurse and I had a first aid kit with me and I got my first aid kit gave it to her as she was monitoring his vitals and everything like he was like passing out like in shock like uh so we were trying to keep him breathing keep him conscious uh make sure his heart was beating and an ambulance was on the way you know and you know I didn't really think about the ramifications of what I did in the moment because I just recognized it needed help and I was doing whatever I could looking back on it now like I could have very easily died we both could have died um I could have just stood by like his friends and watch him die in front of me but you know a lot of people at the time were like congratulating me and appreciating me for doing that and it just even thinking back to it to this day it just you know I wonder how the kid's doing I hope he's all right I never got his name never got a way to contact him I'm happy that I was able to help him, whether or not he understands or appreciates it, you know, but, you know, I, and anybody out there who's a lifeguard or whatever is like, well, that's not what you're, uh, yeah, I know that's not what you're supposed to do, but this kid was going to drown to death in front of me and it was the only thing I, yeah. it was the only thing I could think of at the time. And like somebody had to do something 
like th- this kid was going to die in front of his friends. Um, be, it, that's happened to me twice, believe it or not. Similar situations being around my friends and, you know, almost drowning, letting them talk me into swimming where I wasn't comfortable. And then when I almost drowned, you know, it was just like it was funny. You know, yeah, it was, like, it was funny. It wasn't taken seriously, you know, but like, you know, I was like, I, I hope that kid got some better friends, you know, but like thinking back every year, because I made a post about it on Facebook just because I thought that it was weird, not really to give myself praise, but I just pretty much said that I'm glad that I was in the right place at the right time today because it really like sat with me how his friends didn't recognize that he was in trouble. And I wanted to tell the story because this ties in to mental health very well. Mm -hmm. Every day I have some form of mental health problem. Um, I have many suicide attempts personally under my belt. I'm really bad at it, obviously, because I'm sitting here talking to you guys. Um, fortunately, I, I, I assume some people would say, um, but you know, when I tell people that I've tried to kill myself before people who know me just kind of take that and they're like, I don't, I don't understand, you know? And it's like the personification. Yeah, they don't understand why. Yeah, they don't yeah. understand why. It's like, you, you know, because, again, we'll, we'll tie it back to the, one of the, the things that people like to do is like, but look at look at how much money you make. Look at your job. Look at what you do. Look at what you own. Look at it's not you have these man. friends. You have this family. It, it doesn't matter. You could be you could be the biggest thing ever. You look at all the celebrities who mm-hmm. died. Um I listen to Juice World really heavily, and you know whether or not you liked him personally, you cannot tell me if you listen to his songs that you did not know that that man was going to wind up dead sooner or later. There is literally, there is literally a song in one of his last albums that was released. I think it was released recently because it was just uncut and unedited music from before he died. He literally says in a line, I'm only alive for the fans. Mm-hmm. And like literally, so many times people will sit there and you hear about someone killing themselves or someone mm-hmm. attempts and people will sit there and go, I had no idea. I didn't know he was struggling. And the thing is, like that kid drowning it's not always obvious, but sometimes it is. Yeah. And I know I'm not blaming other people. We all have problems. We all have very busy lives. We've got mm-hmm. things going on. So, you know, it. it's not like I'm blaming other people for not recognizing that there are problems. Sometimes there aren't signs, but there are minor things you can tell when somebody's acting different if you know them mm-hmm. i've spent several times where people that i didn't even know very well would make a post on facebook and i would just scroll past it and be like you know message them and be like hey i know you don't really know me but are you good yeah like really sometimes that's surprising how many people don't take that serious or will you see that and they just they won't you know they won't accept it like i understand not accepting it because sometimes it feels a little it's like, is this person being genuine? Mm-hmm. But I, I do that a lot, too, and a lot of people will. Some people will look at you like you're crazy, or they won't they'll reply to you at all. 
yeah. you know, try to reach that, out. That's true. But on the flip side, you know, I've definitely had people that I've, I've reached out to in the end. Like, I had no idea what was going on with their life. But something just like you said, Sean, you can tell when things are a little off. And, you know, you, you'll reach out and they're just like, hey, I'm obviously you don't really know the details of what's going on, but I really needed to hear that today. You know, I appreciate you reaching out and just checking in. Um, sometimes it, 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 it's, it's something, weird. something that small. It's weird because it's always it always comes like every time I've done it. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm sure there have been times when I've been there for you or Dylan or Ben or whatever, because like, you know, we're close and I can see the personality or, or like emotional changes. But I swear a lot of times when I've had people reach out to me or I've reached out to other people, it's people that I barely know. Like you just happen to be on my Facebook you just happen to be in my vicinity. It's so weird how it's not typically the people that you would think it would be. No, I mean, honestly, I understand that. Um, like a lot of the coworkers that I don't really know that, I mean, I know them inside of work, sure. Uh, but I really don't know them outside of work or I don't uh, take too much time to, you know, to try to make plans with them or something like that because I have a hard enough time to spend times with the other people who are incredibly close to me uh, in my life. But yeah, I get what you mean, though. Just uh, people that you wouldn't think are the ones that either appreciate it or um, or that you tend to go reach out to uh, because there's just this feeling, something that's instinctual, and you know something's a little bit off. Um, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right there. Well, it's also a thing because a lot of times there might not be. And I mean, I know that I have tells because I try to make my personal struggles as not obvious as possible so like i was saying whenever i tell people that i've had suicide attempts like i can guarantee you that if i could remember exact dates the only date i remember currently is my last time that i tried and that was the next day i went out and got my um semicolon tattoo as a way to try to motivate me and remind myself that i was done doing that to myself and that I want to leave that part of my life behind and stop having that be a problem. And actually, I say I remember it, but apparently I don't remember the date, but it's in my phone. It reminds me every year. It's funny you bring uh, about tattoos, by the way, uh, just because mine's a reminder to try to make good choices and do good things. Yeah, and that's, that's why mine's on my wrist, because I'm Same. always looking down. I work with my hands, so like if I'm ever having a bad day, I find myself staring at my tattoo on my wrist, just reminding myself that it's okay. It's going to be, it might be bad today. It might be bad tomorrow. It might be bad all month, but it's, it's going to pass. You know, a, a lot of times I feel when people know, or when people find out you hear, you know, I didn't know that they were struggling. I didn't know that they felt like this. I wish they would have reached out. A lot of times we do. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times we don't. Because it feels like you're a burden, almost. You feel guilty. Absolutely. You, Absolutely. Feel, you feel like you're taking up somebody else's time. Everybody has problems. And why should mine be important? Why should someone care about mine? Why can't I handle this on my own? And... and that oh, so. leads to things like, sorry, I'm not trying to cut. No, no, I, I got like, you good. Uh, I'm, I know that the three, the two of you probably are familiar with who Chester Benningfield is. Chester Bennington uh, died. Bennington, thank died you. Yes, sorry. 2017 I, I took his life. I, uh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 
Look yep. him up on Facebook or something. Yeah. Uh, Lincoln Parks, uh, one of the one of the prominent members of Lincoln Park. Not. No, yeah, yeah, no definitely the oh. prominent, like the the head singer. Uh, did mm-hmm. a lot for for mental. He was a heavy mental health uh, advocate. Had a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, one he, of the biggest things around him though is that the video and his wife said, "I had no idea this was going to happen." Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've probably seen the video. I think it was either a kid's birthday party or something. I can't it's, remember. It's been a while. It was a couple But everybody couple was laughing. Yeah. yeah it was, everybody it, was laughing. Everything looked good. You would have never imagined. And the thing is, when you decide, when you, when you check that box, when you pull that trigger, it's such a relief when you decide that you're going to end your life. It feels like such a calm, such peace. Mm-hmm. I don't have to deal with how I feel anymore. It's yep. coming to an end. Absolutely. I know people are going to be sad about this. I know it's going to upset people, but it's going to be okay. Time heals everything. They'll forget about it, and everything will be okay. I don't have to feel like this anymore. And it's almost like you get happy, and a lot of people can interpret that as, oh, he's feeling better now, and then you get a text or a call mm-hmm. or you read an obituary and it's like, Oh my God. And we have to stop telling ourselves that we don't need to burden others because it's not a burden. People who care will do will. what they do. Yeah. And if you don't have people that Absolutely. care about you, I'm sorry that, that, people you know are like that but there are complete strangers that will literally spend countless hours talking to you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there are people that dedicate like their whole life to helping people through stuff like if i could go into a quick little personal story and it's also to help provide a little uh i guess transparency as far as yeah no you're good because i have to like recompose myself because i feel myself like Getting emotional. No, so I, good. Go for I, it. I understand. Um, my uh, my older brother. I've, I've already brought him up once in this podcast, but he's he's the person in my family that I have the most experience of seeing mental health from a distance. This is well before I acknowledged my own problems. But to for those people who think that either you're going to be a burden because you're reaching out so many times, or those who it, you're the recipient of. of that person reaching out in my case. So my brother, he always called me and it got to a point to where if it was past 10 o'clock, cause he's a, he's a single dad. He has two kids. He was, if it was past 10 o'clock, I knew he was completely wasted. If I got a phone call, cause I was away at the time I was, I didn't live as close to my family as I do now. Um, if I got a call, I knew he was wasted. I knew I was about to get just this earful and for years, and when I say it, I mean for uh, probably a good seven or so years, I picked up, we had the same conversation that we've had hundreds of times at this point. I was going to hear a lot of trauma that he's he experienced, where he feels like he's at right now. I, I just knew that was going to, and I knew that because I care about him, he's my older brother, I love him to death, he loves me, that... By doing so, I mean, obviously these aren't things that I personally want to hear, but he needs, because, uh, I mean, it obviously it does affect the person that you might you might talk to, but it's better than just ignoring it, because the times in which I chose to ignore it, and I hate the fact that I even have to say that, because they did, get, they did get to a point near the 
the last year leading up to an event that he thankfully survived. And I don't, I'm not sure because it's not something he's brought up to me. I'm not sure if it was uh, a planned thing because his kids genuinely keep him going. Um, I think it was an accident, uh, but he was late at night. Uh, he was driving. He was he was inebriated, and um, he drove straight into the middle of a deep lake. He barely got out the car uh, as it was going under. He survived, thankfully. Um, it was a complete life I change can't for swim him. Sober. Yeah, um, I'm very thankful because <laughs> one, I chose to leading up to how bad things were getting, which led to to this particular moment. Um, I chose to ignore, and it's, I'm not trying to put this just all on me. Obviously, I know there's a, a myriad of factors uh, that go into these things. Maybe a conversation wouldn't have stopped certain things. But at the same time, I chose to ignore the phone calls that I got so used to getting because this became to the point to where it was a daily. It, if, if not daily, it was every other day. It was day. mentally stressful on you. Yeah, yeah I, like, it, like it, I, it, was, I, I was just, because at this point in time, because I mean, I, I say this is recent. Um, and when I say recent, I mean, um, I guess now it's been a year and some change uh, since since that moment for him. Uh, so at this point in time, I'm also recognizing my, my issues and I had some things I was doing. And yeah, it was just it was mentally draining and stressful. And I do wish in hindsight I would have picked up the phone. I'm just glad that he's still around today. But the talk that we had, which now we really now we support each other every chance we get. Um, he doesn't drink anymore. Uh, thankfully, but the, the hard reality was I was driving, I remember I was driving home. It was really early because at this point in time I was waking up trying to, I tried to learn, I learned to start my day right. My coping mechanism became always beginning my day. Now, not, not everyone has this kind of control and I understand that with schedules and such, but I would begin my day. I'd wake up, I would go to, uh, the gym here locally to where I found a lot of, uh, it helped me a lot through the last couple of years. Um, and I would always just start my day super early, like four thirty, five in the morning. And I would go there and I would do a couple of things. And that's how I, I felt like I started my day. Right. But the day in which the night in which I guess my brother had done that, I drove by coming home from the gym and his kids were out front in the driveway, my niece and nephew, and they're waiting on the bus bus came to pick them up. And I had noticed, cause at this point in time, my brother was, should, should have been leaving for work. Um, because he works just a, a back-breaking um, factory job and has for pretty much all of his life. So he gets up super early. Typically, he's gone by no later than, uh, I guess I want to say, uh, 6 or past 6. I can't remember his schedule at the time, but I just knew that he should have been getting in his truck to go to work. But I didn't see his... Uh, I, I say truck, sorry, his truck now. His car. I didn't see his car, though. Didn't see any headlights on or nothing. thought it was weird. Bus comes by picks up the kids, and I'm like, all right, cool, the kids are, kids are going to school, I'm looking for my brother's car, I can't find it, I call my brother several times, he's not answering, and I was like, huh, this is strange, well, I know, who, I know where he works, so I go to his work, I don't see his car, so all right, well, I'm not really sure what happened, and I didn't actually find out at, like, in extreme detail what had happened to him, uh, and that was just narrowly escaping death, and, because uh, obviously with that, you know, it was a DUI, he had a lot he had to answer for for what he did because he wasn't shy about what he did. He at least he acknowledged what he did. It was a huge wake up call for him. But the conversation that we had that really put mental health into focus, and honestly for both of us, was that morning your kids had no idea 
their dad almost died. Very got very close to it and got very lucky and was able to get out the vehicle in time as it was going under. And that that really put things in perspective for him. It was no longer time to ignore all these issues and that he had to really and this is again going to the shame of medication and things like this. This is when you put mental health as a real thing to focus on for him, which did indeed help me too, because I was like, holy crap, these we just can't keep bearing this uh, these these problems that we know we have we have to confront them we have to do it in, in healthy ways and uh absolutely my support system honestly came from really acknowledging and this is just how i've i've managed with it i know everyone's different um i have learned how to write again but in healthier ways i do it with my my uh, youngest nephew and it helps me uh that way because we don't touch on such uh, harsh subjects to where I'll draw personal inspiration from, so I don't find myself in that world that much anymore. But I also really looked at my friend circle, and this is my personal advice to anyone who's listening and who may be struggling. I want you to really look at the people that are clo- that you're that you think you're close to in your life, friends and family included as well. Like I have, I have a big family here, and I don't associate with a lot of that family. Um, I'm very close to my older sister. I'm very close to my old, my oldest brother. Um, my dad and I uh, have a, have a bit of a rocky one, um, uh, and I'm I'm close with my mother. But as far as cousins, uncles, and we all live on pretty much one strip of road. I have chosen due to all the events which led up to a lot of mental health because a lot of my family's issue, and this just comes from my personal experience, was you were ignored if you brought that stuff up and. Um, and this is where I see just that that very individual experience where no one, no matter whether it's race or not, um, that sometimes you just, this is going to be your experience. And our experience was that very much. Um, I know Anthony and Ben had touched on it and just being told, go do something else. And for my case, it was just never a conversation. If it was brought up, it, it may have been touched on for a second, but not with any real level of understanding or treating mm-hmm. it seriously. So it was, you're fine. You're fine. Give it a little bit. You're you're okay. You're okay. You're okay. You're yeah, you're okay. Just sad. Just a, whole, a whole bunch of that. Yeah, you're just sad. Go do something. In my case, it was video games and, uh, and it was writing, which, like I like I said earlier in the podcast, turned out to be more of a hurt than a help later on in life. But I looked at my friends. And I took a real genuine look at the people who I really love, who I put uh, time to to see. And I found the ones who genuinely cared, and it takes a li- it takes a little bit of searching, it t- and and sometimes it's easy to convince yourself that that person does care, but if you really, really think about it, think about the ones who reach out every now and again to you. Think about the ones who uh, you really go out your way to go see and spend time with. There's reasons for that, uh, and in my case, it was because I realized the true good influences that were in my life, and I then made that decision that. These were the people that um, deserved any of the free time and attention. Like, I need to reach out to them to make sure they're okay if they're going through stuff because I know they're going to do the same for me. Uh, and my friend circle narrowed as a result. I still have friends who are surprised, and I'll still talk to them, and, and we'll still catch up every now and again, but they're surprised. Like, man, you don't make a lot of time to come uh, see us or, or, or uh, to go hang out. Like, for example, they, they always want to go to a bar and such, and I'm, I'm not into I, I don't want to. Um, I would rather uh, just Oof, uh, spend bad. that I'll time. Uh, bars, man. No, no, not, not you, bud, not you. 
um, hey, you more or less just want to chill at your house. And, and a lot of times we just have a great time. Yeah, sometimes but, I just go to the bar because it's like it has alcohol and it's like not my house. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I definitely understand that. Well, yeah. and, my, and, my house has alcohol. The bar has alcohol. No, my, no, the bar is not my house. It's basically no, my house, but not my house. Trust me. I, no, and and yeah. I get it. And there's definitely uh, good times. But I just had to really take a, a hard look at who, um, without me asking, went out their way to check up on me, make me. Uh, better as a person and I strive to be better because they're around me uh, and now because of that my circle may be a little bit smaller uh, but it's really helped with my mental health and, and me maintaining it and I know when I can reach out to these people that they will they will they will give their time whatever, whatever time that is it's better that way yeah mm-hmm. no it really is because like we would love to be there for uh, just mountains of people and when you can reach out, when you can help, I mean, I'm not saying don't. I mean, if it's within your means, I, I definitely recommend that you that you do. Uh, but for those uh, who I, you, because we all have that that very limited time, I just make sure to recognize who those people are in my life uh, and who have really helped me, and I make sure that I stay close to them uh, and that I can help them because they they'll do the same for me. They deserve that side of you more than, you know, the casual friends that kind of just come to you at certain times. Basically, yeah. Not that it's not fun seeing them every now and again, checking up on them. Definitely not saying throw everyone to throw throw that person doesn't fit um fit those categories straight to the wind. It's just uh like you said, those those select few definitely deserve the best of you. Um mm-hmm. because I mean they, they make you better. They make you better. Right. I, I agree. I missed a little bit of that. Sorry, I had to go uh, pay the maintenance guy for his work and oh, everything. No. You're and good, bud. I was um, just, I was you, just saying, you're about, a business man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah, for um, those who don't know, he's at his work right now. <laughs> Tuning in for the podcast. <laughs> We're not even Shoot, open at work. <laughs> I was at, I have uh, just kind of one more thing. I guess I wanted to say to like kind of tie it full circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, what I'm saying because we were, t- you know, it is kind of on the subject of you know men's mental health. We touched on mental health, but I think that, you know, I guess to kind of get that deciding, you know, splitting factor between, you know, women's mental health and men's mental mm-hmm. health is, you know, as as we all know, you know, growing up, we're expected to be, you know, mentally tougher. Yep. We're expected to go through things and not necessarily complain. And for the most part, if anything, the times where it's accepted is when, you know, you you lash or well, I'm not going to say accepted, but expected is where you lash out. You know, physically, or you show anger. Well, that, that's how men. Life. That's how men. Society perceives acceptable exactly. response. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like men are supposed to be tough. Men are supposed exactly. to be hardworking. They might be angry, but that—that's the perception of males. Mm-hmm. You look at you know on the on the opposite you know side. There's a lot of times where with uh you know with women, like they. You know, it's it's also uh, normal for them to be, you know, emotional. Like, how many times can you think, you know, going through school, you know, there's some random, you know, chicken hallway yelling about something not necessarily important. And, you know, it's like, you know, versus, you know, dealing with a lot of times everybody's just like, well, that's just how she is, you know, like leave her alone. And, you know, even though it got on people's nerves and, you know, there were certain people that was, you know, that would, you know, kind of give her that energy back but it's like you know there weren't as many guys that would just you know have a bad day and just lash out and take it out on everybody and you know not that you know that's not necessarily a healthy way to take care of it either but it was more it was more normal 
you know, for a woman to express that. Yeah, you know, well, it's more normal for a woman to, you know, if something happens to them, they, you know, they cry it out, you know, whether it's in public or they walk away, you know, like that all is normal. But, you know, for a male to show anything but anger when expressing themselves is like, you know, they look at you as sensitive or, you know, and, mm -hmm. they, you know, basically people tell you you need to pull it together. Yeah. So I think that's one of the biggest deciding factors. And, you know, like I've, I could say through well, most of my life, I've always had that one person I could go to where no matter what I'm feeling, I feel like I could talk to them and they're going to give me the, you know, the straight answer of am I, you know, am I tripping or, am you know, is my situation valid? And, you know, like I, I would cry, you know, say I would I would, you know, what I'm saying I cry. I'd, you know, you know, I could get that out and they would help me to, you know, express my feelings. And the time when I didn't have that was when I was at the worst. So, uh, you know, like you said, you know, earlier, the, with the, you know, the numbers that are out there, the, the, for uh, suicide hotlines, the amount of counselors and, you know, programs they have for people that may feel like they have mental health, you know, uh, a mental health situation going on. Like as men, we definitely like, you know, we, we are like we do now, but for the listeners, you know, reach out to somebody, whether it's a friend, whether it's a counselor, it'd be good to get, uh, you know, somebody who's trained in that area. But everybody doesn't have resources to do so. But there's somebody, you know, that you can reach out to, even if, you know, it might be somebody that you don't quite I think gonna, wants to listen. Somebody's going to listen. I was going to plug a program that I used because <clears throat> I have a very busy schedule and we have no sponsors this podcast is not intended to be for profit. Um, they're not sponsoring this podcast. Um, I used a company called BetterHelp I've used for a Better while well. when I got into um, therapy. Uh, they do work with you financially. It is still decently expensive, I think. It's not overly expensive, but like $200 a month gets you... Um, like uh, you can get an appointment every week with your therapist and you can do it remotely, uh, text, call, video chat, whatever. It worked out good for me um, because my, my work schedule is so uh, inconsistent that I don't have time to go to a doctor's office or a therapist's office physically. So, you know, I could be at work and I could put in my headset and go step away for 30 minutes and have a therapy appointment. Um, they have an ungodly number of therapists, counselors, and all kind of other mental health resources. Um, I'm sure that there are plenty of other ones. That was just the one I have experience with. And owning a business, when I, I, I was using them when I first took over this company. Um, so I didn't have money at all um, because of the financial standing. So I wasn't able to do it more than like five months, but they did give me a lot of helpful tips and tricks, and I am getting to the point now where I'm going to step back into it here soon. Um, there's always a way to do it. There's in-person counseling, but there is a ungodly amount of resources that are becoming available to help people get through these problems. They weren't always available for us growing up, and I also want to point out in the whole has society evolved too quickly thing you know some of these resources didn't even exist for your parents your mm -hmm. grandparents and so you know a lot of it didn't exist take, when we, we were kids take, 
take that into consideration. I know I said earlier that I have worked really hard to not blame mom for any reactions or anything that I might have perceived that was wrong, but, you know, it, it's a new, it's a newer understood problem. It's going to take time, and we all have to do what we can to help make this a known problem and mm -hmm. figure out the best course of action for treating it. And if that's talking to friends, talking to professionals, seeking help however you can, I'm sure there's even Reddit threads for people talking about mental health. Like, there, people like us will seek out, like, ways to help others, and... Uh, I wanted to do a podcast episode about this specifically because this is a huge topic that's very personal and close to me that I, uh, like I said, I could sit here and talk for hours, but I feel like I probably broadly encompassed the scope of how I feel. I didn't get into my direct symptoms. I could sit here and tell you, like, I have memory issues if I don't write things down. I, I don't mm -hmm, remember mm -hmm. things like... Yep. Every one of my staff knows if you've got a request off, like, hey, I need so-and-so day off. All right, what you're going to do is you're going to go write that down on a piece of paper because mm -hmm. I'm not going to remember. Yep. Um, <clears throat> you know, I have impulsivity issues, especially with money. Like, I'll see something and I'll be like, man, that's really cool. I want it. And Dustin, you should oh, know wow. damn well. Oh, yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> how many? The Amazon people hate me. My mail person, I still get like mountains of Amazon packages a week. I remember us living at Grenade Street, and man, it was just package after package. And I'm just like, man, I need to order something to keep trying to keep up with Sean a little bit here. This well, man got just, some things. <laughs> you know, you see something, it's temporary gratification. It is. It's just, it is. Um, it's just. It's basically a cope. Honestly, um, it's barely you buy even something a new. You might get some use out of it. You might appreciate it. You might need it. It might be a good purchase, but. I find myself spending money or it's, doing things in that vein. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the symptoms are vast. There's so many different ways. If I, I actually wanted to ask you guys a question, because I don't know if you guys feel like this. I was talking with one of my staff members the other day, um, mm -hmm. and she has also relayed that she was diagnosed ADHD and there's probably other diagnoses that she didn't get. I don't remember the full vein of what we were talking about, but do you ever get like a moment where you not like disassociate per se, but it's almost like when you're interacting with another person. So like it happened to me when we were doing this podcast, right? Mm -hmm. So when you interact with another person and you learn more about them or you realize that like, while you were living your life or having your experiences, it's almost like you have this realization that other people exist and they have their own things that they've gone through. And like, you know that in your head, but there's something about that, that you realize that and it, it actually clicks. Hits. It yeah. hits for you and you're like, yep. wow, I'm not, you know, like, you know, obviously you're not the only person on the planet, but like somehow like something clicks in you and you're like, huh, it's crazy to think that Anthony had all these experiences growing up that I knew nothing about that now I'm aware of. It's crazy that I've known Dustin for all these years and I didn't know that he got rid of his revolver because of an attempted suicide. Like, yeah. So like, it's just like a moment of where you almost feel out of body, kind of. Like you don't feel like you're real in that moment. No, I, I definitely can say I've, I've been there before. Yeah. 
too. Yeah, like versus just knowing that the potential is there that is happening. It's like you start getting more in depth, and it's like okay, now I'm you know peering further into your life than I have before. And it's like you know, like I said, even though we've known each other for so long, it it you know it gives you a different understanding of who that person is, and you know. The fact, like, you know, the fact that you're such a good person, you know, you bought the microphone for me, you know, the other week. Yeah, it was awesome. And, as, I, yeah, I appreciate that. Like, the, as much as you have going on in your life, the fact that you're still willing to reach out and help, that shows how good of a person you really are. And no matter what you're going through, you still find ways to, you know what I'm saying, impact other people's lives, mm-hmm. you know, both of y'all. And the fact that even, you know, the this podcast is a, a testament to that because you know, we could have tried to do it, you know, we could have tried to do anything else with our time. But right now, you know, we're doing a, a podcast that we're not trying to profit off of in order to help reach, you know, people and help change their minds about things that they probably didn't even think about seeing from another perspective. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. And we're putting our, we're putting our experiences out there and it's like, that's going to help somebody because they're going to look and see three different people with three different, you know, walks of life, three different things that, you know, we went through completely different paths, but here we are able to talk to each other, you know, sensibly about anything and, you know, not be here arguing and actually put out something that is going to be useful for the average person. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that, that's really all I can really hope for and ask for, because that's really all that I want. You know, Dustin will tell you, like we said the last time we've been doing this for years, but I love learning about how other people think i love relating to people i think that's probably got to do with my mental health too because a lot of times i'm sure you guys probably have felt this before i feel it all the time i feel like people don't understand me um directly like so i guess that probably ties into the why i don't feel like a real person thing too because like things that just click for me don't click for other people and vice versa and so it's always interesting to try to understand why I think how I do what after everything that I've been through the negative the positive what has pushed me to want to be open what has pushed me to want to provide like a civilized plate why 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 am I so passionate about doing this podcast why am i so passionate about trying to change my restaurant and the restaurant industry in general to be a less toxic environment than what it is why why do i push myself to focus on my employees well-being above my own like i could make a lot more money right now if i didn't pay my staff so much etc but I, I don't do that. Instead, I do it. And I mean, I know that's because of who I am. But that's trying, to character, definitely. But Absolutely, trying to yeah. understand what what made me who I am, what made you, Anthony, who you are to try to raise your children in a completely different way, being supportive of them. Like, how did you develop the idea that you wanted to be a better person? You wanted to be calm. You wanted to be able to communicate with your wife friends family whoever civilized even if you're like what pushed you to that dustin what pushed you to collaborating with me like just learning all of those things like how you decided to run your own business like it's interesting and it's incredible the differences between people because 
at the end of the day, we're all humans, no matter what divides us, you can't deny that we are all the same in that respect. So no matter how different you are from me or Dustin is from you and me, etc., you're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whatever, gay, straight, whatever label you want to throw on it, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, we're all still people. We're all still absolutely. Women. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just kind of an interesting thing to know what makes us tick. Well, and I think that's, uh, I mean, one of the best and most important reasons why we, we're doing what we're doing right now. Um, because obviously, like, mental health and all three of us, have brought us up, it's a it's a big topic. It's huge in scope. And this is definitely going to be the last time that this is brought up. Uh, there's plenty of other episodes because there's so much. It affects so much. And I think overall, I say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think overall, uh, because people either underestimate how how much it does affect, or uh, they bury it as much as possible, which is why this episode is so important, and we'll keep obviously bringing it up in relation to other topics. It's just know it exists, know that you're not alone in it, know that there are people that do genuinely care, and it's amazing when you find them because you're just completely you blown away. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't even, even have, have to know, know them, but they're there. <laughs> If anybody hears this and finds a way to reach out to me, I promise you I will lose sleep talking you through your problems. So you live to see another day. Yep. I've done it many times before. My wife did tell me to cut conversation short because I'd be on the phone for hours with people (laughs) randomly. I have friends that was in prison that that I would talk to and shoot. Even when I had extra little bit of money, I would send it to them because I know how, you know, I know in there was, you know, it's cutthroat. So yeah. it's like any little bit of edge I can give you to make you feel comfortable, like, you know, with you with the situation, you know, there's, I definitely try to give that. But yeah. I, I, and I have one question for you. I want to know if this is a mental health thing or maybe if I'm just kind of goofy in the sense. Have y'all ever felt like almost like you were in a TV show in the sense that it's like you feel like everybody is in the loop about everything except for you? Um, you know, like you, I think, yes, okay, so that is, your description of it is a little different than how I feel, but yes, that is a symptom of mental health where uh, you kind of feel like, uh, I don't, like I said, there's so many overlapping symptoms and I don't want to sit here and misspeak because I read a lot about mental health in my personal, but I've felt that before. I'm pretty sure that's an anxiety thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like yeah, I would say. other people know something that you don't know and it's like, you're you're constantly like what what is it what am i not is, is that what you mean like uh joke or a bag about me that i don't know about in the sense of like you know like what like why did this person call me and then this person called me you know 30 minutes later and they're both asking me for the same thing like are they, is somebody testing me somewhere or you know like if you know as i'm going through something are people just kind of sitting off in the distance like somehow do they know what i'm going through you know like are they sitting there judging me at a distance, you know, like, I don't, I feel like sometimes people just kind of, I don't know, I guess I feel like, sometimes I I, you know, like people are watching me sometimes, and it, even in situations where there's no possible way that they're watching me, I feel like somebody's watching me, and like, it's just like, everybody's kind of just staring at me, you know I what think I mean? I, I think I can narrow weird. that down for you in a more, like, <laughs> I, I feel like, I understand what you're saying, but to try to make it more clear for other people, so... Tell me if this sounds kind of like what you're talking about. Like, so let's say when I'm at the bar or whatever, even if I'm with friends or whatever, 
So if I'm like, I'm very observant, like Ben was saying, he's always like paying attention to his surroundings. Mm, yeah, I, I'm very cool. perceptive too. So right. like, if I'm just sitting there drinking and me and Dustin or me and whoever are having a good time and I catch somebody like, like eyeing in my direction a lot. And then later mm-hmm. on they're laughing. I'm mm-hmm. like, why am I so funny? What the fuck are you laughing about? Like, yeah. and it, it, mm-hmm. it, it takes over my brain. Like, what, what do you, what's so funny? And it, they probably don't even know I exist. I probably have right. fuck shit all to do with their conversation, <laughs> yeah. but my brain tells me that that is about me. They're laughing at me. What did I do? Well, fellas, I wish I, I could. Piece of it. Oh yeah. Well, I, 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 I wish I could relate to that, but unfortunately I'm damn near clueless in those situations. Um, yeah. I, at least <laughs> it's, just, it's just not something I can, uh, I mean, I, I definitely get like completely lost in my own head. Uh, a lot of the times, like a mm. lot of time can pass. Um, and I am, but like paying attention to anyone like, uh, to like, uh, outside forces maybe making me feel a certain way. I mean, obviously it definitely does play a role to a point, but not necessarily to what, you, uh, or at least my personal experience to what you guys are talking about. I just can get completely you didn't feel lost that in school clueless. or anything or anything like that. Like, I mean, I know you're not that outward and social now, but like that wasn't a thing for you in high school. Like maybe you walked past some kids in the lunchroom and they started laughing as you walked by and you're like, Hmm. No, um, uh, inter- uh, it's just fascinating that you two bring that up. No, for for me, no. Uh, I I had family members who who definitely can relate. Uh, my my brother, I know I bring him up a lot, but he's definitely uh, just thinking about him a lot in this episode. Um, mm-hmm. He definitely felt that way, uh, and he would bring up similar like scenarios and situations, and he would tell me that of these other outside forces that made him feel a certain way that put him incredibly on edge. Um, now, granted, I wasn't sure if it was because he worked in corrections for so long for a while there, because he, he definitely changed as a person after he got out of uh, working for that maximum security prison. But So I wasn't 100% that sure was, if that was causation for maybe some behavior change. I have no doubt it was to a degree. But no, personally, uh, I well, never really wait. gave it too much thought. What about this? Okay, so let's say you're going out to do something. It might be business related. It might not be. So let's say you're at your house, you decide what you're wearing, you're all mm-hmm. like, this looks good. Then you get out and you go around and you look different than other people and suddenly you're there sitting there overanalyzing and second guessing that mm, maybe this isn't right. Maybe I look stupid. Maybe my outfit is like weird. You uh, know, that, does that happen to you? Yeah. Now, now that, that yes. Um, I've had it happen in like whether it's business functions or, uh, or, or just social functions to where I feel yeah, like I I'm, feel like I feel like that's all the same thing, just it manifests in different ways. Yeah, like different scale, basically, too. Yeah. No, I can definitely see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, is there anything? Because I know, uh, I just for um, if any, if either of y'all have anything to do later in the day, I know I need to go uh, see my nephew in not too long. But is there um, anything that y'all want to say to possibly wrap up or? No, honestly, I, I could talk on. about this for days. Honestly. Oh, no, no, no you're not wrong. I, I probably, like I said, I, I I told the scope of it. I went in detail with a few things, but I could literally like deep dive and I could have a five hour podcast. Just my personal no, experience. I, I, would, I have no doubt that we're going to cover so much just in, like in future episodes. But um, well, Sean, was there anything that you could that you could think of maybe just something to end off on? I mean, me, it was just trying to give out some personal advice for what helped me and that was just finding those genuinely in life that, that really cared about me um, um, and to invest honestly, that time in them. The best advice that I can give um, through everything I've experienced, everything I've taught myself and 
really tried to learn, tried to force myself to heal from anything that happened to me or situations is that, yes, it might feel that getting help is wrong. Medicine might not Mm -hmm. feel like the right answer. But at a certain point, you have to ask yourself, is anything else that you're doing helping? Yeah. And a lot of the times I find that that answer is no. There's a lot of stigma and things around getting help, especially if you're male. And trust me, I get it. You can't do everything yourself. Very few people in this world can. There's no shame in getting help. There's no shame in reaching out, talking to someone, taking medicine. It might not be immediately perfect. And like I said, I take two different antidepressants and I still have bad days. Don't get me wrong. Like oftentimes I at least weekly, uh, formerly daily, uh, had suicidal thoughts and I didn't act on them and I haven't acted on them since my last time, but they're still there. The problem doesn't go away. It just becomes manageable. Imagine being in a room with 20 people and they're all shouting. Well, the more people that leave the room, the easier it gets to hear. The more things you do to quiet that room, the people shouting being your mental health problems, the more steps you take make it more and more manageable till you get to a point where you're strong enough to do it on your own. And that doesn't mean you're not going to have relapses. It doesn't mean you're not going to have good weeks, bad weeks. Yeah, But I promise you, it's way easier for me to deal with the five people in the room shouting than it was to deal with the 30. That's a good way to put it. Anthony, anything you want to share, bud? Uh, Basically, you know, like Sean said, you know, like progress, you know, you got to find something to help. And that first, like after you take the first step, first two steps, first three steps, it might not feel like much, but I mean, there's, uh, you know, sometimes you have a lot of ground to cover and those, those first few steps don't feel like you're making much progress, but you got to stick with it. And, you know, after a while, it'll get easier to manage, but don't be discouraged, you know, with just taking the first step or two and feeling like it's not better because medication is, you know, it takes a while for the medication to make your balances mm-hmm. right. If that is what you try to do, you know, if you try to go to the gym to make yourself feel better about, you know, physically, mm-hmm. it takes a while for you to actually get, you know, improvements and gains to where you actually see it. Yep. Anything you do is going to take some time. So, you know, that, that's the problem. Progress. The, the negative is mm-hmm. so quick but the positive Mm -hmm. takes time. It's a building process. It takes a lot longer to climb a set of stairs than it does to fall Fall down. down. Yeah, no, absolutely. So consistency, it really, and I know we, you've heard that phrase a million times being consistency is key, but with mental health and keeping it in check and finding ways to improve and to feel better and to help manage, you have to be consistent. You have to be aware. If If you learn something, try to see where you can apply it. I remember one of my professors, like, that was something that he couldn't stand, people learning things but never actually applying it. You wasted so much of your time. So if you can find something that helps and if you can apply it in some small way and you can, uh, and you're like, oh, wow, I'm on the right track. You know now because, you know, you tried something, you you applied it, and on some semblance it's working. 
Uh, just be consistent. Uh, and there's a lot of factors, but definitely reach out. And uh, like we said at the start of the episode, you know, this was a it's a it's a heavy episode. All of us could keep going on and on about just how much we've experienced or been through or seen other people experience. And uh, so and we could be here endlessly. But if you need help, uh, like we said at the beginning, there are those numbers. And Sean, I know you're uh, you're handling um, where this get po- gets posted to. So if we can make sure to just post it on that. I know you said you were going to, but we'll make those resources known. And just never be afraid to reach out and, and talk to someone. Absolutely. And that goes for you guys, too. My phone's always on. It might not answer right away, but... I am always here. Yeah, you'll definitely get there. I'll say. I understand that. Yeah. Like, I'll get back to you eventually. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'll bring it back to you. All right, fellas. Well, I appreciate uh, having another podcast episode uh, with you guys. Loving it more and more each time. Always a good time. Absolutely. Always a good time. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, uh, y'all have a great rest of your week. Anyone who's listening, you know, have a, a great start to the next week uh, or, or day or just whenever you may be listening to this on. And uh, much love from us. We'll see you next time. Bye, y'all. Peace.